0: A listener Production.
1: There are little niggles that come in of people giving you a backhanded compliment we going, oh yeah, but she's a commercial artist. Sorry, I want to be a commercial. Andy Warhol was a commercial artist. Yeah, Pablo Picasso was a commercial mm-hmm. artist. Mm-hmm. Commercial means money and acclaim. Damien Hirst, like Damien Hirst has got the best art career pretty much in history. He's up there with one of the best mm. contemporary artists of all time. Yeah, I want to be like Damien Hirst. I will mm. sell my soul for that. Mm. That's, I don't want to be eating beans and... Sleeping on a mattress on the floor. I want a really beautiful house and I want my work to be in really beautiful places. Mm. And I want to earn, I don't want to earn money when I'm dead.
2: For Bobby Clark, turning
0: her artistic passion into a business has not come easy. She's battled with the fear of not being seen as a true artist, not having the skills to set up good business practices, as well as valuing her time and creativity. Up until recently, she's kind of been winging it. It wasn't until her friend and partner Steve saw that she had 40,000 visitors a month to her site, with nothing for them to buy, that she decided to start selling prints online. This decision changed the game, and it gave her a steady stream of income for the very first time. Once Bobby started taking the business side more seriously, she also discovered that she had $1.5 million worth of lost sales due to abandoned carts. That forced her to fix any leaky buckets and to find new opportunities within the business. She's now hired a business coach, an accountant, and is on the hunt for a commercial agent to grow her business even more. In this chat, Bobby is funny, she's candid, and she's super insightful. And if you're a creative or artist trying to make it in this world, then this one's for you.
2: So Bobby, you started your solo art practice in 2016. Mm -hmm. Can you take us back to that time and paint a little bit of a picture? What were you doing and what inspired you to start your own side hustle passion project business?
1: Okay, so I was working at Pop and Scott, which is a Melbourne-based like kind of design furniture workshop in Northcote. So Stephen actually got a studio space in there um, and I went in to obviously check it out as well. And I ended up meeting Poppy, who was painting all the pots, these geometric shapes. She was doing it all herself. She was pregnant. She's like, I need someone to help me. So I came on as a pop painter for Pop and Scott and I ended up working there for like three or four years, like maybe three. But during this time, like I'd taken a break from anything basically creative. Me and Stephen had both finished art school and came to Australia on a working holiday and I'd maybe not done anything creative for about four years. I'd just been like, you know, dotting about doing retail work, blah, blah, blah. I was working as a painter and decorator. So when I was working with Poppy, obviously I was heavily involved in like design and art again. And I kind of started feeling like, oh, I kind of want to do something for myself again. Um, So on the side, I just started doing painting. Steve and Poppy both were like, you've not, why are you not doing this anymore? Like you need to start painting again. So Poppy gave me access to the pop painting studio that I could use um, when we went up there. So on weekends or nights. Um, and pretty much get, let me use like all the paints and stuff. And I just started, I think I'd watched a documentary on Picasso and his life story. I mean, I'm obsessed with Picasso, I've read it and like watched it a thousand times, but for some reason I decided to re watch it. And he was talking about how, or not he, because he's dead, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the documentarian was saying how. He was at such a high level of like artistic skill from such a young age, and he went up and uh, sorry progressed to doing like Renaissance painting, and he reached a point where he had a massive creative block, and he's like, "What now?" And he decided to strip it right back and go back to like primalism and start doing like mark making and abstract spaces. So I kind of just thought, "Oh, I'm just gonna stop putting so much pressure on myself to find my style or what I want to do, because I used to be like I." Piper portrait drawer.
2: Oh, wow. And I was
1: like, I don't like that anymore. Like it took me like seven hours straight to do a tiny portrait. So I just started mark making again and kind of it all just kind of happened from there It was just at the time when Instagram was getting really popular and I had started getting a bit of a following through um working at Pop and Scott and just my photography so just photographing what we we're doing the projects we we're working on and just kind of being in that industry and around the right people um so I think I posted my first painting on Instagram and it was just literally it was like an ink I always mix my paint with water to make like inks and it was like, really, looking back, it was fucking terrible. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I posted it and someone wanted to buy it. And then that just kind of naturally kind of kickstarted started me wanting to think about doing it on my own. Plus, I was um, doing a lot of photography then. So my original idea was to leave Pop and Scott and do um, freelance photography and create um, kind of photography packages for businesses to promote themselves on social mm-hmm. media because that was the new platform for marketing and, and advertising. So I left with the idea that I was going to be a photographer and make my money and then do art on the side. So that was the loose plan. <laughs> the loose plan. What,
0: why do you think that you had that creative block? Like talk me through why you put down the brush for four years. What was What was blocking you at that time?
1: I was pretty exhausted. I'd been studying for maybe six, seven years. Um, I came right out of high school into college. I studied art and design, done a portfolio, then I studied textiles, fashion, and then went to art school in Manchester. So it was a long, long road of studying constantly mm. um and working really hard as well. Cause I um my I don't come from a well-off background. So I had to fund myself through university. If I wanted to go, I had to pay for it. So I was working maybe like two, three jobs on the side, trying to get myself through this. So we we're both pretty burnt out. And when it came to the end of studying, we weren't ready. Cause it was like pretty much when you're in the UK, the only option really is to move to London. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, well, we both weren't ready cause we're both in the same boat to get right into that. I'm like, I need a break. So yeah. Steve came home one day and was like, oh, fancy Australia. And we pretty much just packed the bag and left. So when we got here, we'd started again and we knew no one. We'd moved, we moved to Greensboro as well, which is like, yeah, basically the, the, the bush, <laughs> yeah, the, the burbs,
2: the burbs. The burbs. So
1: Different, completely different culture mm. from us. Like the burb culture, pretty deep Australian. And we had to pretty much re ourselves. We got mixed in with uh, like different people, different culture, it was all just about like finding where we wanted to live. So we moved around, lived in Greensboro for maybe a year or two, then moved into Sydney Road Brunswick, which again, not our scene. And we finally found Thornbury. And when we landed in Thornbury, that's kind of when our old selves started to come back. Because mm. it was all just about like experiencing somewhere new, finding our feet, finding where we wanted to live. And also, Like, I just wasn't in the creative industry here, so that just did not seem like an option. I did a lot of work in, like, the creative industry back home. My cousin's in, like, TV and film, so I always had something. But when I came here, we had to start from scratch, no one. So it was like, get whatever job we can. I was, like, for the first three months, I was in the city every day handing out CVs and not one response from it because I was on a working holiday visa. No one wants to employ you either, so... I think it was just like a time of kind of finding our feet and it was just like I had studios here and there when we moved to Brunswick I had one but I didn't really know what I was doing I had a studio and I was like drawing pictures from fashion magazines it wasn't like it was basically just a practice yeah. to keep it going but it wasn't anything like or uh, the love wasn't in it.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, Anna and I know all too well that burnout can absolutely kill creativity. Like that, oh, is, yeah. that is so real for us. That happened, you know, towards the end of last year and
2: you need mm. the break,
0: you need to step back and you need to rediscover yourself. Did you always know yeah. though in your heart of hearts that you were going to end up making a career or making money off of your art?
1: I mean, that was a dream. That's the one thing that I've always known about myself are the one thing that's always been a very clear goal in my head that I wanted to be an artist. It was, like, from my earliest memories... I come from a really artistic family. Mm -hmm. So it was only one thing in life that I knew I really, really wanted. I'm pretty like go with the flow and laid back and a little bit of a dreamer. Yeah. But it's that one thing, that one continual narrative throughout everything that I was like, I want that. And I know there's no doubt in my mind. I want to be an artist. So Mm -hmm. it was there. It was maybe just like at the back of my mind or like below the surface, but it was definitely the major life plan was obviously to dream of becoming an
2: artist. So you were painting, you were kind of exploring a new style, it sounds like, in those early mm-hmm. days when you re-picked up the brush and you started sort of photographing your work and putting it on Instagram. Who were your first customers? Like, I'm sure you got some sales through or some interest through Instagram, but who were those first customers and how did it how did it grow?
1: Um, I definitely think, working for Pop and Scott, I, mm-hmm. I ended up managing the showroom. So when they built the showroom, I was dealing with their clients all the time. I was selling and interior designers were coming in, decorators were coming in, architects. So I was starting to get a good gauge of who I wanted to sell my work to. So I think when I first started uploading paintings and stuff onto Instagram, I think definitely that and that kind of people and that you know, those people of areas of interest that aligned were definitely looking or watching what I was doing. Mm. So I think by default of me actually working with um, like in a kind of design workshop, I was kind of accidentally, but you know,
2: strategically, in, you're in the right You're in, you yep. yeah, yeah,
1: tapping into that market. Yep. I mean, there was a lot of people in that space at that time. There was Bruce Rowe, who was anchor ceramics, he was also an architect at that point. His wife, Claire, I think Poppy was kind enough to let me um, display my artwork in the shop as well when I actually done some works and framed them. She was like, frame them, you can put them in the shop. So I think I immediately had a really good platform So people that were shopping through Pop and Scott, which which still is, but was at that point at the absolute peak Mm. of their, like the visibility was everywhere. I think having my stuff in that shop, it just kind of gave me that next step. So I think their clients were definitely my clients, which was great.
2: Mm. for a starting
1: point. I, w- I wasn't really starting at markets or
2: yeah. like
1: how other people, which I wouldn't, wouldn't have done anyway, because it's not my thing. Mm. But like I, I accessed a really good clientele and professional client base, to be honest. Do
2: you know what I really interesting about that? You made a comment earlier saying you were on Instagram at the right time. And you know, there was this golden age of Instagram where it was e- easier to build a following. It's very saturated now. And yeah. yes, that's true. But also you build interest in a following through doing things in the real world. Like, yes, you (laughs) can go viral with your content, but, like, you have to be out there in the world doing things to generate the interest. So, like, I think what's really interesting is, you know, you tapped into the right network. Mm. You know, you were in the right crowd of people. You were talking to the right people. You were in that environment and opportunities came off the back of that. And I think there's a really good lesson in there for people, which is, like, as a creative, your network is so important. It's so important. Do you credit a lot of your, I guess, early success or some of your success to those relationships and that network that you formed? You know, as someone who landed in Australia knowing nobody, it's a pretty amazing, pretty amazing thing that you've been able to cultivate.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. And you know what? I think that's a part that people always miss. They're like right place at the right time on Instagram, but it's networking is huge. Mm. I, I think me as a person and Steve... People always label us as lucky and we're like, no, we work really hard, but we're also, we love people and we're good with people. Like we genuinely love getting to know a wide variety of people. And from where I come from, I'm from a very small town in Greenock, very humble upbringing. I think it's a skill and a credit to my parents that I'm able to go in a room and talk to absolutely everyone and hold myself in a different kind of variety of people I can mingle with jimmy on the street the local nutter and i can also go in (laughs) and have a good conversation with like an architect or a publisher Mm. or a designer so and also knowing the knowledge of the industry as well because Mm. i've studied so Mm. so long and i have interests i'm constantly learning Mm. about although my interests were in art i'm really into architecture interior design Mm. uh, fashion textiles so I'm able to have conversations and build relationships with the industry as a whole, not just art. So I'm not just mm. single-minded. So I think that's a really good point to touch on mm. is being around people, making the connections, but also being really open and connecting with potential clients and customers too. Like I genuinely love talking to people. So when I was in Pop and Scott working in the showroom, I definitely would have built like a huge amount of um a client base through just conversations with people who weren't even coming to buy my work that were coming to buy something like a pot from Pop and Scott or a plant or a couch and that is Mm -hmm. all interlinked like being able to actually be and not I'm not a salesperson at all I hate I hated Mm -hmm. that I didn't having to go can I offer you any help it's actually just talking about other things that leads that led me to sales with people so having knowledge in different areas and and building relationships
2: Mm. it's an interesting conversation because we hear it a lot with women in our community which is you know oh sales like oh I, I don't want to do it I hate it I can't do it but really it's it's talking passionately about your work and and what you can offer people mm. have, you, have you found your groove with that a little bit?
1: I'm definitely getting better I think it's something that in um, I'm working on I'm actually seeing a business coach just now and it is something that I mentioned right at the start is being able to actually talk with pride about what I do Mm. because being Scottish Scottish people are pretty self depleting. like they like they really they flog each other they're not good (sighs) at giving compliments and I find it easier to talk about Steve if I'm in a professional environment and someone's asking about Mm. my work I somehow flick it to talking about Steve Mm. I get really embarrassed when it's talking about my own work. But I need, to, that's something that I'm really working on being able to be like, no, I actually value what I do. And I'm not embarrassed by saying, because I think a lot of the thing is being an artist. It's like, am I allowed to give myself that title? That's a huge thing in the art industry. Like, have you earned your stripes as an artist? And I'm like, well, Qualification wise, yes. Mm. And I feel like I, I'm slowly coming into being allowed to label myself with that title as well. So it's a hard thing being able to sell your own stuff. But mm. I think my personality is such a big part of my work mm-hmm. that I'm lucky that that kind of sells it. If you know what I mean, I don't really need to hard sell my work. It's kind of myself that I'm selling.
2: Yeah. People buy into you as well as your work.
1: I think so. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's definitely something that we've, you know, been we've noticed is you love to share and take people inside your world and your life. You know, there's so many great things on your Instagram. You've got your partner, you've got, your, you know, the baby and, you know, your life. What's that? What's that like? Do you think that you have to kind of overshare or do you have to share a lot and take people behind the scenes in order for them to really build a relationship with you?
1: To be honest, that was by complete accident. I, if you know me personally, I am a complete oversharer. <laughs> there is nothing that I don't, that I keep to myself. In fact, there's been many arguments of Stephen being like, can you just fucking keep that to yourself? <laughs> um, this is not that's too much. Non- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a bit too much. So it's actually, it's more of a struggle for me not to mm. give everything, to actually hold back because... I love taking photos. I love sharing what I'm doing. It's kind of second nature to me. It drives Steve up the wall. The fact that he's like, "Can we not just like have a conversation without you fucking sharing it?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> it's you secretly, you you secretly recording. You're secretly, it? Yeah, you're like- yeah, you're like <laughs> Recording this for like evidence later." It's it's I really enjoy capturing stuff and I've Mm. always been that way before Instagram before phones I always had a camera on me and I always even had a disposable camera I just love finding the beautiful things in everyday life so I've Mm. always kind of done it but recently I've been trying to I say I don't know it's constantly like you don't know what the right thing is to do I feel like I need to share less personal and more work which is hard because we're in lockdown and now I'm um, more time a mother than I am in the studio. So mm-hmm. as it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't tactful. It wasn't a plan. It's just my natural kind of way of doing things is to overshare. Can I, can I ask you, do you think
0: that you overshare or share more of the personal in order to avoid sharing the art and the business because that's where the insecurity is? Probably.
1: Mm. I always take the kind of jovial route rather than I really struggle being serious so it is probably deep down is probably a way of like hiding from that Mm. for sure do you struggle
0: with um people judging your artwork and and being seen because I think you know anything you do creatively anything that you create and put out into the world is there to be judged and to be scrutinized and everyone's got an opinion let's be honest yeah is that Mm -hmm. the part that you struggle with the most
1: are you
2: my therapist? You're actually Caitlin like, gets like this. Caitlin, <laughs> what that She the can hell? really get to the heart of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. There's, I've spoke about this. A few, I see a kinesiologist, and I've I've spoke to her about this because I feel like we're kind of being forced to really dig deep and look at ourselves and all our. Are kind of dark shadows and stuff and bring them and it's a real maybe as the time that we all needed to kind of bring all that stuff to the surface Mm. maybe that's what this is all about um but that is something that's been a huge insecurity of mine is a lot of people give me like backhanders and even like there's certain people that have always said to me like if they're talking about someone else they go yeah but they're a proper artist and I'm like the, what the fuck does that what does that mean like and I, there is this thing in me where i like I really want to do a fucking renaissance painting just to go well fuck you
2: <laughs> I can do I, it I can go. Yeah. yeah
1: and like even my friends like they joke but at the same time I'm just like mm, but I understand that they're not in the industry and they don't get it because they've yeah. not got a creative mind they're like analytical or yeah. but they do go yeah you paint circles for a living and I'm like yeah that's all I do Mm. and even when I speak to people who back home who don't get it they they work in different roles completely different industries and they speak to me as if I'm an idiot sometimes and I'm just like actually I'm running my own business I've just started another business and I've been doing it on my own with a child with no help no family here no financial help at all I've, I've built this myself no one else me And I'm like, it does, there is so many little underlying kind of insecurities Mm. under the surface. It's just like, I mean, like people comment and then saying you're not a proper artist. It's like, what is a proper artist? Mm. Drives me mental.
0: Drives me mental too. Mm. That's 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 tough, and that's tough because you're feeling like you're in a, you're then in a headspace where you have to defend yourself yeah. constantly and prove yourself and prove yourself, <laughs> yeah. and that gets in the way of being able to do your best work. And we all experience. I mean, you know, I think I experience it just in it from a different perspective, you know, through mm. the work that we produce and put out into the world. But when you are constantly having to think, and you know, what what are people what what are people's opinions of this, and then mm. when you do kind of get that either you know, the negative feedback or, and look, a lot of it's constructive, but a lot of it is just like, not, you not don't really. know what you're mm. doing. I, you know, we know what yeah. we're doing. You know what you're doing. You know, we you know, we've been doing this for a while. Like it, it can be hard when you're in that mindset of having to c- constantly defend yourself and prove yourself.
1: Mm. It, it, it is. And it's such a, um, it's such a, it's a very, like it's a change and constantly evolving industry, but it's mm. also like, The art industry is really like old school, elitist, tends to be really upper class. I'm not upper class. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I feel like already from the get-go, I'm stepping into a box that doesn't belong to me. So I feel like I'm constantly having to prove myself, which is, I mean, it happens in every industry, but sometimes when you actually poke that, you're just like, oh yeah, okay, this is where this is all coming from.
0: Do you think you'll ever get there? What does success look like to you? Like what's your...
1: do you ever get there? That's me and Steve talk about this all the time. We have certain things like just, it constantly shifts your pegs Mm. move and you're just like, I mean, like being on Lady Brain's podcast, I'm like, Jesus Christ, like I listen to your podcast all the time. And I'm like, fuck, they've interviewed people that I'm like, I can't even believe I'm in the same realm of speaking to. So you're just like, I never thought that would happen. Then it happens, then it moves. I think Mm. success is, I mean, there's like, abstract bots have been able to have like monetary success like mm. been able to but then my um my new business coach has been breaking that down like how is that like you could just go and buy those things if you want how does that mean success or and getting a claim or being like a renowned artist like what does that mean and you're like I don't know are these things that I've just put on myself like these labels that once you achieve them you're going to move on to the next, the next mm. bigger thing. And I think that's for people who are ambitious and hardworking. I think that's how people evolve as well. Like constantly setting targets and goals and then actually achieving them and then being like, oh, okay, I've got here, like what's next? So I think it's definitely a hindrance, but also like a driving force. Mm. I think it needs to have achievable goals in mind. Then when you meet them, you're like, okay, now I can go okay, bigger. Go on or, now this... Now this gives me the point that I can actually get to another point, if you know what I mean. Like you've achieved this, so then you can do this.
2: I remember we polled this in our Facebook group uh, probably a couple of months ago and we were like, what does success mean to you? And the majority of people said progress. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really mm-hmm. true. It's like if you feel like you're moving forward, then you feel like you're successful. But by the very nature of the word progress, it means that you're moving, moving through forward. something, you're moving yep. forward. So yeah. there's no, there's, there's really no end point.
0: No, no. Mm -mm. but it's like but I guess yeah there is no end point but does the does the feeling of not being good enough and does the Mm. feeling of having to prove yourself and of struggling Mm. ever end
2: Mm.
1: Mm. probably not Mm. I mean I think a real point of mine is if I had a piece of art that was exhibited Mm. in like a really renowned gallery like a top Australian gallery like the Hyde or you know I mean the NGV I mean that Mm. just seems but if I was ever to have a piece of my work On display in the NGV, like that to me would be like, okay, now you need to shut up and sit down and actually be like, okay, pat yourself on the back, kind of thing. Yeah. Like you would have to recognize that. You'd have to.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, you have had uh, a piece of work in the Guggenheim in New York. Can we wait, wait, hang
0: on. So if that is that not enough? Yeah, I know. I'm like, "Mm, wait a they They'll cook.
1: (laughs) technically it was Solange Knowles used it for her an ode to show within the Guggenheim so technically that has actually been on, on the wall. Inside, <laughs> inside the Guggenheim but it's not actually been like a commission yeah. piece it's not mm-hmm, actually yeah. been like here is an exhibition yes.
2: showcasing yes. I mean
1: that is just like in itself if that ever happened I think I would probably just drop dead in the spot I I'm mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> but that I mean that is I mean it's really hard because there's so many different aspects within that as well, mm-hmm. and there are little niggles that come in of being people giving you a backhanded compliment, going, "Oh yeah, but she's a commercial artist. Sorry, I want to be commercial. Andy Warhol was a commercial artist. Yeah, Pablo Picasso was a commercial mm-hmm. artist. Mm-hmm. Commercial means money and acclaim. Damien Hirst, like Damien Hirst, has got the best art career." pretty much in history. He's up there with one of the best mm. contemporary artists of all time. Yeah, I want to be like Damien Hirst. I will mm. sell my soul for that. Mm. That's, uh, that's what you want. Yeah. But people use it as like, oh yeah, but they're commercial. Like, but then uh, like, what's
2: the alternative? Like yeah, a, struggling struggling artist? Artist. a struggling artist? struggling like, artist. That's I, not a great, that's not aspirational. People love
0: to see <laughs> it. People love to watch it.
1: Yeah. No, I don't no. want to be that sorry. No, I don't want to be eating beans and... You know, sleeping on a mattress on the floor. No. I want a really beautiful house and I want my work to be in really beautiful places. Mm. And I want to earn, I don't want to earn money when I'm dead. Mm, yeah. I want to earn money now. Totally. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: So, can we talk about that? So, you have managed to commercialize your creativity, commercialize your passion. Can you mm-hmm. break it down for us? How does your art business make money?
1: So, a few years ago, I. Went against advice from Stephen and Poppy and my friend Kent, who was just like, "I've just well, Kent, my friend Kent's amazing. He is all I'm so not techy, not tech savvy at all. I'm learning, but I'm not there." So Kent went on my website and he's like, "Dude, what the fuck?
0: <laughs> Great <laughs> review, yeah, maybe <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <not> real.
1: <laughs> he's like, "There's forty thousand on your people on your website." And you've got nothing to fucking buy. And I was like, oh. He's
2: like... You're like, good point, good point. Yep,
1: that's him. Yeah. He's like, that, you've, got to, you've got to sell prints. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that because then like, I'll devalue my work. And he's like, it's pretty much the exact opposite, opposite? Of, yeah. of your work because you're selling it. And yeah. I was like, oh, fuck. So honestly, him and Steve were like at me. Like, when are you going to do prints? When are you going to do prints? I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. So I was like... I don't want to like I, I don't I don't want to sell them for cheaper. And Steve's like, "What you're meant? You're saying you want to be a commercial artist, but you're not like you can't just function on creating originals. You're relying on like having like creative flow at that point. Like you can physically only paint so many paintings." Mm. Mm. And he's like, "Make the damn prints." So I made the damn prints, and it became a constant stream of income for me, which meant that I could actually look at doing other things. I could make money, which has been amazing. So I have got a steady stream of income, which means that I can pay my rent. Mm-hmm. I can buy supplies. Then I can actually think and plan for a bigger project. So best thing I've ever done.
2: So those prints are kind of your steady stream of revenue and then you do the yeah. originals and the commissions and other things around that.
1: Yeah. So then I've I've got, um, I do... A loads of different jobs at one point before I well I was pregnant I was working like four jobs so my prints are like pretty much my money and then anything else on top of that is like a bonus so I was the creative director of Little Company for five years so I'd done all their photography all their aesthetics kind of outlets so their Instagram um, even all the spaces like going into the spaces seeing how they work so I've always done that and then obviously originals and commissions mm-hmm. on top and projects so any kind of like commercial projects or murals and um, working for different companies creating things anything on top of that is like a bonus for me basically which it, it kind of takes off the pressure of the constant struggle for income so before that I was like okay what commissions have I got in this month like where yeah. is this money coming mm-hmm. from so it's been like it's been a good steady source. Obviously it's still work because I need to still ensure that there's actually sales coming in from prints. So that's like that's a new th- new thing. Like before it was before COVID, I didn't even really need to do I probably obviously did because it's constant work for me, but effort on my part, me sharing what I'm doing comes natural. So sales were just like flying in the door without right. me kind of so the sales for originals so? and commissions
2: yep. were just mostly inbound from social yeah. media. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't yeah. need
1: to. I didn't. I didn't need to pitch to anyone. They were just coming in. Yeah. Um. I've noticed over COVID, originals have kind of slowed, in and then the prints have just been going a lot because I think everyone's staying at home. They're maybe yeah. not wanting to spend as big, but yeah, as they're wanting money. to mm. update their update their house. So they've been amazing. But I've maybe put more of my focus on prints now. I don't really. I think I'm working on my next exhibition, but it just keeps being moved. So I'm like, mm. I don't know what to do. Like. It's just one of those things.
2: So if you had to actively market your prints and...
1: I've I've started, not actively market, but make sure that I am posting enough about my studio time and my work rather than James eating his dinner. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which we still love, (laughs) let's be honest. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you do. Like, honestly, if I... um, if i'm sharing my practice and what i'm doing mm. with my art and my prints yeah. then people are engaged with that whereas yeah. obviously if they're not seeing something in front of them they're not going to be like oh i want that so and then obviously with um my business coach he's went into the back end of my website again yeah. and being like have you ever looked in the analytics and i'm like no and he's like dude what the fuck Huh. Again.
0: <laughs> Again. Another what the Isn't fuck? that great? When you have that information, you can make great decisions mm. for your business. Oh. And I bet that, you know, you know, having that conversation while, yes, it was like, what the fuck are you doing with your website? Look at what that's opened up. And it's just so nice yeah. to have sometimes those people that, you know, care, but then to just receive that, finally kind of receive that information and, yeah. and go, all right, let's give this a go. And like it's obviously changed your business for the better. Mm.
2: What decisions have you made off the back of the analytics? Mm. What have they told you?
1: Oh, hell. Honestly, I was nearly sick. I was like, oh. Because I just like, I just want to make things look nice. Yeah. I've got by, I've got this horrible thing where it's a good thing and it's a bad thing where I just want to do everything myself. And Mm -hmm. he's like, "Mm, yeah, you're literally doing a $25 an hour job when you should be doing your $300 an hour job, i.e. creating works and painting them. So let it go. But he went into, <laughs> it was like two weeks ago, we were in here and he went into like the back ends of my website and he went into the analytics and he's like, do you know since January you have had $1.5 million of sales in your abandoned cart? And I was like, what's that? And he's <laughs> like, that's a joke. And he's like, you don't, you?" so do you send an email to people who have like put your prints in? And I was like, no. And he's like, Oh, my fucking God. And I was like, $1.5 million of lost sales. I was just like, oh, shit. Yeah, That's- I need your help. So <laughs> he has been, yeah. He has just been like, here is how we make this. And he's like, just coming up with these strategies. So if somebody buys a print, like, let's send, send them codes. Yeah, Send them something else. He's like, do you have a mailing list? I was like, Classic. no.
0: <laughs> Wait, but surely you'd captured all that data. You just weren't using it.
1: Yeah, I just yeah, wasn't. Yeah I've got all the I've mm. got all the data in here it, but good. he's like Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just
0: imagining like I you know, let's just say I purchased a print from you like January last year and then all, now all of a sudden I'm receiving Did a flower. Be I was like, um hi guys, really sorry I've been quiet. Um yeah, yeah d- didn't realise <laughs> I'm back, I'm back,
1: I'm back. Hi <laughs> so <laughs> I just didn't think about uh, an abandoned car. I was like, I never want to force people into buying anything. If you want to buy it, you'll buy it. But it's yeah, like course. But how much, how many times late at night during lockdown or when you've been, when I've been breastfeeding, sitting like filling my car up and yeah. then just getting distracted and leaving it, he's like, yeah. oh, just forget. Yeah.
0: And, I'm like, how, and and so how is that, how is the recovery ML performing?
1: I'm not sent it yet. Oh, in the process. <laughs> <In> <laughs> no, I've actually like, it's really good because he, at the end of our meeting, he'll send me an email of like, okay, in two weeks' time is our next meeting. Here is a list of tasks you need to do Mm. and finish and have them to me by the 18th. So I've got six days. Have them to me by here. So I need to have like, I've got thank you. Because I actually hadn't. See, when I say this stuff out loud, I'm like, I'm a dickhead. Like I could be living a much better life than I am. But I like hand write all the thank you notes because it's like, oh, I still want to waste paper and get them printed. And he's like, that. how long do you take to write these handwritten thank you notes? And I was like, mm. he's like, how many paintings could you have done in that time? And I'm like, mm. OK, I'll order the thank you notes. So I've done them this week and I've ordered them and I've got codes and I've designed in the email to get sent out to all the people who purchase prints. But yeah. <laughs> hilarious and he's he even just stripping it back he's like so what have you done with like your keywords and your seo and your to get you to the top of the google search and he's like hold on i'm gonna put it in he's like okay your top search in google how did you do that and i was like i didn't and he's (laughs) like okay so let me get this there you do nothing and you've managed to get like the top search in google and i was like yeah and he's like okay he's like you're just like you've managed to do it without meaning to do it any sort of strategy
2: behind it (laughs)
1: Yeah, but we need to know, like in order to to be strategic now and actually like nail these kind of milestone or goals, we're gonna need to put these things in place. And I'm like, yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes,
2: sir. What are you say, sir? (laughs) Accountable. And so what are the goals? What are you know, what are what's the you want to know the crazy goal? Yeah, Yeah, go go for it. We wanna know Uh, them all. Okay.
1: So the absolute high mental abstract goal mm-hmm. that you probably don't ever want to say it like you sound like an idiot put it out there but he wants to make a hundred grand in a day
2: oh amazing good can and do it like, oh,
1: okay <laughs> we'll see but he's good because he's like went into my finances and he's like you're there's a lot of money coming in but there's a lot of money going out because
2: where you know, yeah what are you
1: Where's spending it going? on oh <sighs> On like food shopping and like baby stuff, like uh, because we don't have a joint account, everything's coming out my account. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Big things come out of his account, but the day to day, everything comes out of my account. So like the we've got a we've got the share of business coach. We've just taken on an accountant who's literally going into our finances and being like, we need to open like six different accounts. So I don't pay myself a wage. I just all the money goes into my one account, which mm. everything for the family comes out of. Everything for my business comes yeah, out okay. of. And he's like. What the hell? So we're opening up. <laughs> <laughs> you done this podcast thinking I knew what I was doing, and now you're just like, oh, no. <laughs>
2: no.
1: <laughs> um, So now we're going to have like five different accounts. He's he's amazing. He's managed to break down earnings into percentages. So I'll pay myself a certain amount every week, mm-hmm. and that's money that I will live off for essentials like yep. shop and fuel, blah blah blah. Then there'll be like a there'll be an investment account. So a percentage of my weekly earnings will go into a savings account that will go towards investing. Cause that's something I've always Mm. wanted to do is invest. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there will be like a long-term saving goals, a short-term saving goals, and then something else. So holidays will come out of one and then like long-term like house, big spends like car, that kind of thing. So we'll be both, both our incomes will be going together and they'll be growing towards because we've never shared money either we've always um, been really separate mm. it's only since we've had James where we were like wait, wait a minute I'm paying for all the food and the nappies and the clothes mm. and so it's like all of my money is going to that and mm. I don't know he's got a huge outlay because he's got maybe like 10 plus staff now so it's oh, wow. a whole different ball yeah. game but it's just helped he really came at the right time I've been like, we need to start because I've never, Stephen's a kind of guy who's got like a five, 10, 20 year plan. I'm kind of just like going along for the ride and being like, yeah, I want to do this. But it's like, Stephen's like, well, how are you going to do it? Here's all the plans. So now I'm starting to get in that headspace where like, yeah, maybe I do want to own a house. I do want to make sure I've got like all this stuff in place. Yeah.
2: I think Mm. that, you know, when you're building a business at some point you get to the point in the journey where you're like, okay, we've got to build some structure in this. Mm -hmm. We've got to build some processes. We've got to build a bit of Mm rigour and some routine. As a creative, free-flowing person, do you enjoy that side of the business or do you find it intimidating? (laughs) Are you like, nah, someone else do this for me?
1: (laughs) I am like numbers thick. I, I've never, like, you should play UNO with me. My friends bully me. <laughs> oh. We play UNO and they make me do all the math calculations at the end and they all sit laughing and they're like, fucking wrong. <laughs> I do sums back to front. I add up the, the front number. I do sums back to front. Oh, so i like say, it's, I like, <gasps> yeah, say yeah. it's like 324 and 600 and something. I'll add the 300 and the 600 first. Rather than going outside in, I'm really, really bad at math. So anything like that.
0: I wanted to ask a question about um, working with brands and co-creating content or, you know, those more commercial partnerships. Mm. Can you talk us through that? Like, how do you decide who to work with? Is it, have you got a lot of inbound? Is it more going (laughs) out to these brands and saying, hey, I'd love to work with you? Talk us through this process.
1: I, to be honest, I never really approach brands. They always come to me and I don't accept a lot of them because to experience and Jenna, me and Jenna talk about this a lot. Mm. It is never in our favor ever. Interesting. The huge commercial jobs through agencies where it's maybe not your top job list, but the pay with that is insane and it's kind of worth it. But when it comes to collaborations and this is the fucking term that drives me, mental Mm. collaborations, brands are like, I want to use your name, what you've built, to sell my shit but I've only got a budget of $500 mm-hmm. and you're like well no like someone actually posted um, I regrammed it yesterday but it was on my private one um, it was something like a response to something A companies coming to creatives it's like sorry I'm not actually taking on any unpaid work at this minute like they just I have got a bit of a thing and I think it needs to change is these huge companies come in and wanting mm-hmm. to use creatives pretending they support creatives mm-hmm. being an advocate for creatives But not paying the creatives. Mm. Like you pay your design team, you're getting paid right now to come and pitch this to me. Yeah. Like who the fuck's paying me? So, I mean, recently I've had a few good ones. I'm really, really picky with who I actually choose to go with. And now I feel stronger in myself to be like straight out the bat, I'm like, what's your budget? Because if you I'm not I'm not spending two hours out of my studio day that is I get two a week. I'm not creating a quote for you and budgeting for me to give you that price. And then go, we only had a hundred dollars. And you're like, well, that won't even get you dinner. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So now I've got more confident. I've been straight at the back. Like, what's your budget? I need to know that before I even give this time. So recently I've done a really good one with um, Made For Studio. They wanted me to do a mural, which I've wanted to do for a long time, but it's just not been aligned. Nobody really wants to pay for murals now. Well, they didn't want to pay for euros? expect you like it's huge and mm. they expect you to do it for such a tiny price and you're like but that's like eight times the size of an original that's like eight times the time it takes yeah yeah so what like do the math like mm-hmm. you can work mm-hmm. that out in your head so i've just done one for made store for Stor studio in the new frank body hq oh cool yep. which, Wait, no, yeah, they, yeah come on yeah yeah cool yes. yeah cool really beautiful and yeah. they were really yeah they were really good to work for they gave me like pretty much full creative rights on it they were just like here is the space that they they were awesome because I kind of didn't figure out what I was doing I work in a particular way it's all about feeling it and being mm. in the environment so it is different to a lot of people that maybe like fully get like designers and renders in and fully see what it's going to look like I'm like I'm not going to know what it looks like until I'm there
2: mm-hmm. standing in
1: front of the wall so they were really good with that and. I love that project, but there is a lot of them that come in and I'm like, no. Mm
2: No, thanks. So with something like that, how do you know how to price your work? Is it based purely on time? Do you put, you know, do you have an an hourly rate that you calculate and then you kind of put a little primo on because of the Bobby Clark brand? Like how do you go about pricing? See, pricing,
1: it drives me fucking mental. And I I think everyone is really, really secretive about their pricing. There's not anywhere that you can look on and go, Mm -hmm. "Mm -hmm." yeah, so half of the time, it's just you're you're basing it on your own value. And you, mm. I mean, I know you guys will be the same. You devalue yeah. your own time and your own yeah. work and your own worth and your own brand. So what I normally do is I've got a couple of friends that have been like, hey, I'm pricing this job. Here's the quote. What do you think about it? Honestly, that is how creatives work. There is no database you can look on unless I have considered getting an agent um, to help me with pricing because... But it's also finding an agent in the art realm who's gonna that's involved in that is really really tricky. I haven't managed to find one yet. Mm. So it is it's one of those really annoying grey areas of the industry where it's like, can someone just create some form of like database that you can go on and look? Because although it's very specific to the job that you're doing, what I normally do is I sit down, I estimate how long it's going to take me. Mm like physically if it says i'll just use the mural as uh, an example i'll estimate how long it's going to take for me to paint it how long it's going to take for me to design it you've also got to take into consideration the amount of time beforehand and then initial stages so like all your emailing your calls your research you have to consider that because mm. if you if you only mm. consider the work that you're doing on the day you've just worked like an extra three days for free. Then you've obviously got to tack on like what it is for you, for them to be using your brand and your name to do something. So it's quite hard to find that balance. And then Mm. more often than not, because of the position that we've just been in, I know that everyone is kind of in the same boat. So recently I've been like, what's your budget? I will compromise or kind of change the Mm. design based on what your budget is so if you want something but then the time it takes for me to do that and the design work involved it's not going to work so here's what we're going to do we're going to bring this down we're going to reduce the colors we're going to reduce the time and that's it so we're all happy I kind of got in the realm of doing that just now because some things are just impossible Mm. Mm. I love when people just go can you do that for this and I go
0: Sure. All yeah. <laughs> yeah. No right. Yes. Show me the money.
1: Oh, done. done. Yeah. Yeah. It is really, yeah. really difficult because there's so many different aspects yeah. that you need to consider for the job.
0: So what's been the toughest moment of your journey so far?
1: Oh God. That's a hard question. I think just knowing that what you're doing is the right decision because obviously there is, there's quieter months and you're like, have I absolutely shafted myself? Like, I don't get holiday pay. I don't get sick pay. I had two weeks maternity leave. I worked until the day before I gave birth. Mm. Like, would it be easier if I worked for a really good company and had all those privileges? Would I, I would be more secure. I'd have like a constant, steady, known income coming in. Like, would I be happier without having to constantly work so hard? Like we've, I've just always worked like six days a week. Like just, you never switch off. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that as a whole, regardless of where you're at in your career is always, I think every now and again, you definitely have that doubt in your head. Like, is this going to end one day? Have Mm -hmm. I just lost that time when I could be building another career, but then it's a gamble we take.
0: And finally, we wanted
1: to give you the chance
0: to shout out to another lady brain that's helped you on your journey so far.
1: Oh, I mean, there's been so many. I think I definitely need to acknowledge Poppy at the start of my career yeah. because she took me in and gave me that platform and introduced me to so much. Um, Stace and Kent, he isn't a lady brain, but he kind oh, that's of okay. is a lady brain. Yeah. That's fine. It's a vibe. Company. Yeah, yeah. They, they just taught me so much and... Obviously, Steve, he's a bit of a lady. Um, <laughs> he constantly like brings me in. But then my friend Annika, Jenna, my friends, um, two casses, Fig and Salt and Firecracker. Like, And my friend Nat, she owns Wildflowers. I know a lot of women who are doing mm. their own thing and running their own businesses. So I think having that really good network of people, like, and people you can reach out and go, oh my God, I'm so stuck. Like, I always send Annika and Jenna, Um, and actually Cass at Firecracker she's got a pretty good like strategic mind for stuff I'm always like okay how do you use zero they're all really really open with like sharing their knowledge so I'm actually really lucky I've got a really strong group of friends around me that I can be like help me I've got no idea what's going on
2: you're lucky but you've created that Mm. you came here knowing no one and look at where you are now so like there is always luck but you know that's down to you
0: Luck and hard work yeah like
2: and hard work. Yep. Yeah. 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 What a cracking chat that was. A few things from us. So firstly, when you're starting something new, whether it's a new business, a hobby, a passion project, break it down to its smallest possible first action. Bobby had experienced four years of creative block before picking up a paintbrush again, which is a bloody long time. But instead of getting overwhelmed with the road ahead, she really immersed herself in the creative world and she went back to basics with her painting. The goal was to get her brush to canvas and nothing more. Secondly, if you are building your personal brand, don't underestimate the power of getting out and about and meeting people in real life. Sure, Bobby was around on the golden age of Instagram, don't we all wish we were? But actually, social media alone wasn't what built the brand. She got her first customers through the clients she met at Pop and Scott, and she has really continued to gain momentum through the people that she actively goes out and meets. Finally, there is no set of golden rules for pricing your creative work, but there is one you should follow, and that is to cost out every single damn minute of your time. Bobby had a realisation that whenever she was on the phone to brands talking about projects, they were being paid for every second of their time through their salary, and so should she. So do not be afraid to charge for your time. Even the time you spend quoting is time you could be spending somewhere else in your business. This conversation does not end here. We are talking about this over in the Facebook group. It is the Lady Brains Clubhouse. So come and join us and follow us on Instagram. We're at lady.brains. We have lots of behind the scenes action over there, including how many takes it's taken me to record this final set of lessons. Lady Brains is produced by Beth
0: Gibson. Audio production by Nicholas Sitch. Listener.